Good morning, and welcome back to um, the adult Sunday school class. Today we're looking at uh, Messiah's invitation to salvation. We're going to be focusing on Isaiah 55, 1 through 56, verse 2. And as we begin to think about this lesson and salvation, and so I had an introductory question to think through for you guys. And has anybody ever been to any of the restaurants here in town and had a coupon that was like buy one, get one free at the restaurant? I know I have. Um, when Karen and I go out, it's one of our classics. Um, to do a buy one get one free. Um, now the question is: Is the fruit food truly free? And you know, if not, what's the catch? Well, no, the food is not truly free. You're expected to um, buy one of the meals to get the other one free. And you still have to tip on the entire bill. So, you you know, it's not truly free, even though you, you know, it's buy one, get one free. Yeah, you don't pay for that. But there's those hidden fees that go along with it. And so that segues into the next question is, can you really name one thing that is truly free? And if you have been around the class a while, you're going to know what I'm going to look for. And I think the one thing that we can truly say that's free um, is Christ's offer of salvation. And as we look at this, we're going to look at it from Isaiah's point of view in the Old Testament. And Isaiah 55, before we get to read it here, is probably one of the most beautiful chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, I've heard preachers refer to it as John 3.16 of the Old Testament, or the Gospel according to Isaiah. Um, and it records God's offer of salvation to anyone who acknowledges his need. So, let's pause, grab our Bibles, and open back up to Isaiah 55, starting with verse 1. And I'll start reading there here in just a moment. So, we've got Isaiah 55. Starting with verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through 56 too. Reading out of the New American Standard Bible today. <clears throat> so uh, join with me in whatever version you have handy, or listen along as I read. Ho, everyone who thirsts and comes to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, 
and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and nation which knows you not will run to you. Because your Lord, your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and return to the Lord and have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow comes down from heaven, and did not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnish seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word which goes forth from my mouth it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you go out with joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the, the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Thus says the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, and the son of, the, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. We have our passage, and let's start our lesson. So we're looking again at that lesson, and we're going to go back, and we're going to break it down into some pieces. And the first part is the first three verses, one through three, of um, the writer of our Sunday School lesson is referring to that. And you will notice it is good Baptist um, alliteration is the cry. Um one through th the first part of three, this cry, uh, this passage is being applied at this time to Isaiah's uh, future looking uh, to the time of the captivity of the Jews in Babylon. They have not been taken yet by the Babylonians. Um, the Assyrians have taken, have, will be shortly taken captive of the, the, uh, um, northern kingdom, but the Babylonians have not yet taken over for the uh, Assyrians and have not taken captive uh, Jerusalem yet. Um, and so Isaiah is encourage, encouraging them not to seek um, 
not to seek satisfaction in that material things that can be offered in Babylon, but to return to their homeland. Israel's deliverance from Babylon pictures the soul's redemption that was made possible by the Messiah's uh, sacrificial work on the cross. So the first thing we see in the cry, and that's named after this very first word, ho. It's a, uh, uh, this is this idea of this universal appeal, and we'll see that in verse 1. The chapter here begins with ho, the cry. It's a cryptic word, but it is used to call attention to important announcements. Um, you know, at uh, the store, I hear people refer to each other and and use a, a slang term, and they'll say, hey, yo. Um, it's a modern version of hope. Um, it, this is using calling attention, grabbing your, your attention to what you have to say. And Isaiah is using it to grab their attention, to not miss it. And he is saying God is going to say something important and don't miss it. And uh, this, this announcement that he is offering in one, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts and comes to the waters, and you have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. You know, this, this welcome to water uh, in a desert land of the Middle East um, is, is truly, this is, this is being made to those who are thirsty. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Um, now, it does seem to say that this verse is somehow limiting to those who are um, poor um, or needy. But we will see that in verse 2, that even those who have money aren't able to find satisfaction anyway in what they're finding with their money. So verse 1 is saying, if you don't have any money, come and take advantage of this free offer. This is not even a buy one, get one free. This is, you have no money, come. Buy and eat. Well, what do you, why, how can you buy something and consume it if it has, if you have no money? And he, he continues on, he says, buy, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He's saying, you don't have to have money because there's no cost. It is without cost. It's absolutely free. There's no hidden charges. I know growing up, my mother used to tell me there's no such thing as a free lunch. There was always a hidden charge. And Isaiah is saying there is no, uh, there's no cost. There's no hidden charge. So we see a universal appeal um, in the beginning. We all see this idea of a rather unusual offer here in this. Um, God's offer is including things that we need. He offers them. If you look back in one, you see what he's saying to take part in. Initially, water, wine, and milk. So here what we're looking at are basic necessities of life, um, especially in a very simple Israelite-type culture. 
I know some of us have issued away from using drinking wine or alcoholic beverages, but we've got to keep it in context to Isaiah's time period. Water, let's look at that. Water is the probably the most basic uh, of human needs, but in the arid Middle East, it's often scarce. Um, and Jesus Christ talks about being the living water. And we see this parallel here. Water meets our most basic need. Christ meets our most basic spiritual need. Second thing, wine. A very common drink in Bible times. It was symbolized with joy and happiness. Even in the time periods where we see Christ involved with wine, it was around meal times, uh, celebratory times, um, it was around times of happiness. Now you want to look up some other verses about wine and its symbolism. Go to Judges 9.13 in the Old Testament. Psalms 104. Here in Isaiah 55.1, we are suggesting the joy of salvation. If wine is symbolizing joy, this is symbolizing the joy of salvation. And then the last thing that he suggests that we could buy is milk. Um, I think it's another basic commodity you would find in the, the Israel-slash-Palestinian area's agrarian economy. It was necessary for life. Milk was produced from a stable environment. Uh, we saw in a previous verse when they were talking about the poverty that was coming to come when you could only eat honey and a little bit of cheese uh, because that's all you could find um, that a few cows milk could be produced into cheese um, but um, even when God promised moving into the land he said it would be a land flowing with milk and honey Flowing with milk was an idea of prosperity. Milk was a, a, a sign of nourishment. You want to see that? We can see that in Exodus 3.8. Also in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Uh, Isaiah's offer of milk suggests that the gospel will meet those needs, a very fundamental need in sinful man. So in this we are seeing water as meeting a spiritual need, wine as a time of the joy or the joy of salvation, and milk is the most fundamental need spiritually to, to nurture you. Um, now, we live in what I would refer to as a market-driven society. Um, we see products that we really want and need, but we just can't afford. The idea of the market-driven society is, you know, the, the market will bear, you know, the amount the price is. We're, we're seeing that right now in a market-driven society. We're seeing meat prices going up and gas prices coming down. Uh, we have a glut of gas, uh, gasoline for our cars. And because of that, oil producers are, the bottom is dropping out of the oil market, and gas is going down and down and down and down and down. 
while because of of difficulties and slowdowns at the meat processing plants uh, and lower prices being um, or lower volume of meat being able to be produced at a particular time uh, we're finding that um, the meat that makes it to the, the the grocery stores is high is costing higher and we're seeing less variety of cuts um, so we're seeing a market-driven society and uh, sometimes the things that we see we want we can't afford but we're asking what's God offering in this passage he's not just talking about water milk and um, wine he's talking about salvation And we'll see that if, if you're not catching it just yet, but we'll see that as we get through the verses. But this is his salvation that he is offering. And who's he offering it to? Well, we see in verse 1, he says, he who has no money. This is not going to be market-driven. If you don't have anything, it's affordable to all. Salvation will be that commodity marketed, as he says here, without money and without cost. We're going to take a look at some other verses here in a second. So if you want to jot these down, maybe uh, stick your Bible, uh, your finger in your Bible as we go to these. We're going to go to Romans 3.24 and 6.23. Then we're going to jump over to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, and Revelation 22:17 to finish looking at this idea of this offer of salvation. So let me pause uh, recording and get my Bible, and we'll go on to reading those passages and come back and do some more teaching. Well, let's look at these verses together. We've got Romans 3. 24 and Romans 3:24 says being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus catch that a gift Romans 6:23 Paul again is writing and saying for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's the gift? Referring back to the free gift is the salvation, the life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the life that he offers, not the death that we earned. So let's go on to Ephesians 8 and 9 and see how uh, the writer here uh, gives us an idea um, uh, back to our passage in Isaiah. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not by of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. Again, it's a gift of God, not works. It isn't something that you bought. It isn't something that you earned. It isn't something that you put some effort into. Again, this is the free offer of salvation. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 
knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. That's coming out of the sin that we're trapped into. But with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We're seeing that the salvation wasn't based on something that we provided, something we did, not silver, not gold, not our works. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. We didn't somehow get a hold of it. It's exactly what God is saying. It comes without cost. It comes without price. Um, but what is it that we're getting? The precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished. The, the We've spent weeks looking at the passage where Isaiah was talking about that he was like a lamb before the his uh, shears is silent as a lamb going to slaughter. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, his blood on the cross spilled for you. Um, and then the last one we're looking at is Revelation 22:17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Does that sound real familiar? Yeah. Again, Isaiah in the New Testament. Come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. So all throughout the New Testament, this idea of what Isaiah is prophesying for, for them is something that is looked forward to. We're going to continue looking, going on to verse 2 of Isaiah 55, and we'll be right back in just a second. So we're back here. I've got my Bible now open back to Isaiah 55. And we're going to look at starting with verse 2. Um, and this first part we've entitled The Unprofitable Quest. And Isaiah asks this really important question. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? So what are you throwing your, your life after? What do you seek to fill that hole in your life to satisfy that thirsting in your soul. There's something meaningful that we're missing in our lives. And being a Christian, as long as I have, I would tell you what you're missing is Jesus Christ. Your Bible would also tell you the same thing, and you're here because you're wanting to know that, and I'm so going to be flat out with you. But Isaiah asks, why are you spending your effort, your money, on something that doesn't may help with your survival, why, for your bread? The things that people buy with their money, he's saying, is not going to meet your basic spiritual needs. Our big box stores provide us with tons and tons of stuff. And I, I think that is so hilarious if you've ever watched many episodes of Veggie Tales. They always buy their stuff at Stuff Mart. We have stuff. But Isaiah is saying, you can buy stuff, but it isn't going to meet your needs because you can't buy salvation. 
We just saw a whole group of passages in the New Testament that talk about it being a free gift. You can't buy it. It's not available for purchase. Whether you're talking about with your money, or your time, or your efforts, or your good deeds, you can't purchase it. And I don't know, you probably know people, and I find great satisfaction in my job. I, I love my job. I, I feel called to my job. Um, but I am never going to find satisfaction by trying to work out my salvation. Here, here's what I'm saying. This is what Isaiah is getting to, is that you're going to spend your time, your effort, going after something that doesn't provide you with satisfaction when you try to work out your own salvation. Because at a man level, I can think, well, I've done enough, whether it's doing good things, living a, 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 a righteous life, uh, treating my neighbors well, um, giving to the poor, um, sharing, whatever that is, those things that I do. But deep down in my heart, as I pile this on the scale of life, and the good deeds on one side, and the bad things that I have done on the other, I never know for sure which way the scale is going to tilt. Deep down inside, I may say, oh, I do enough. But that's in man's perspective. If I truly want to be honest, I have to say God's going to look at it too. And is it going to be enough? Is it going to be the right works? Um, because we don't have... To, to worry about that because Ephesians 2.9 says that salvation is not of works. When people try to work their salvation out, they bring themselves only three things. They bring themselves frustration because no matter how many times you spin on that, that treadmill wheel, you never are going to reach what you're getting to. You get close, but you slide away. You bring dissatisfaction. What the things that you do find eventually leave a sour taste in your mouth and you're not happy with it. And you bring that big question, is it enough? That uncertainty. Did I do enough? Have I, have I pleased God? But let me tell you, my friends, when we don't try to buy. We take advantage of the free offer that Jesus Christ offers us. That precious, unmerited gift of salvation. Um, that's when we find certainty, satisfaction, and a lack of frustration. We know it's there. Now, we're going to look also here in uh, 50... 5 verse 2 um, that uh, it's a really uncomplicated requirement um, 
one of the things that you will see, depending on which version you're using, I know that I looked it up in the King James, it's four times in this version, it's three times. The word come appears in the first two verses, first three verses. You see come. Um, I guess there is a fourth one in, in, in this verse here in the NASB. There are four times it appears. This repetition is showing the importance of the invitation. Um, there also, I was looking up in the lesson, uh, in uh, verse 3, there is incline your ear. Uh, it, the, the translation in the Hebrew talks about making the statement more of an imperative than it is. Um, it, it literally means listen carefully. And uh, we see we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but listen, the importance here, listen to what I have to say, and you may live. That your life, your soul's life, is in the balance. And if you will take the time to listen, you're going to hear something. Now there's a question that we talk about that, we're, we're, you know, he's saying come into, listen uh, eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. We said it's a free offer. He's saying it's important. Isaiah does. Why does the simplicity of the salvation issue cause people, keep people from accepting it? What is it about the fact that salvation is so cheap, so easy, that it's free? Maybe I should change that word. Cheap is not its value. Cheap is what it costs us. Easy. It's easy for us. It wasn't easy for Christ. Free for us. But it cost him everything. But what is it about that simplicity of the salvation message? Accept Jesus Christ. Declare him Lord. And you shall live. Um, what is it that keeps us from accepting it? And I think in our human nature we think things of value have to have cost. But we have to be careful when we have a gift involved that we not place a value on that gift. Let me give you an illustration to give you some thought to think about as we do this here. That gift let's let's just pretend. Let's say that I have a in the process of redoing my basement, I come across a box and I open it up and in that box I find a, a valuable painting. 
by a, a Renaissance master or an Impressionist. It's class of it, it's been valued as price unknown. It's it's never been seen on the market, but it's it's an original. It's not a copy. It's 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 definitely worth millions. And I take it over to you and I say, here I have this gift for you. And I, I wrap it up and I open it up and they, you look at it and you go, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's too big a gift. You can't give that to me. But what if I do this for you and then we'll call it even? And you say, why if I come over and I mow your lawn a couple times? And we'll call it even. The value of the gift just became the value you're willing to pay for it. And you just told me that the value of that gift is worth a, a couple lawn mowings. Going rate, 20 bucks. Maybe if you're generous, you mow my loan five times, that's $100. You've just created the value that that gift is to you is $100. You went from a value of a gift that was totally without cost and, and, and priceless, and you've now said to you it's only worth $100. So we have to be careful when we try to buy our way into salvation because what we do is tell Jesus what he did on the Christ is worth a couple good deeds, a couple good prayers, a small amount of sacrifice on our part for a great amount of sacrifice on his part. We also see the unending result in that last half of two and the first part of three, we talk about the worthlessness of things that we buy and earn compared to what God gives. He gives your life to those who, he gives life to those who hear and heed his appeal. He puts it this way, you know, listen that you may live, you may live. He presents it that God is offering life. God is offering eternal life. He also offers us a covenant. We see that at the second part of 3 and then all the way down through verse 5. Draw your eye there. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. A covenant was a binding agreement between the two parties. According to the faithful mercy shown to David, he is making reference to the Davidic covenant. And that was the covenant that uh, he, he uh, reminds us of the covenant that David had promised in 2 Samuel 7.14 that one of David's seed would occupy the throne of Israel forever. Paul refers to the sure mercies of David in Acts 13.34 when he presented Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the justifier of all who believe on him. 
That's 13, 32 through 39 if you want to look it up. This covenant is the guarantee that God is going to keep his word. A covenant was binding. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make it binding. And he can says to the faith of mercy shown to David, the mercies that we had that a, a, one of David's seeds, which we will see was Isaiah, is uh, is or is the Messiah in here in Isaiah is going to sit on the throne forever. Paul says that those mercies is Christ. Uh, Christ is indeed our leader, our commander, and he has been a great witness. Uh, we are to follow and obey him. To Israel, God said, you are my witnesses. Christ told his disciples, you shall be witnesses. Um, and then down in Nation 5, it says, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Those nations that you did not know. He's referring, remember Isaiah is talking to the Israelites. That's the Gentile nations. The Messiah is going to invite this blessing, this priceless blessing we talked in verse 1. That invitation is going out to all the nations. And those nations which you don't know are going to come to you. He's saying coming to Israel. Come to the gift that is, is offered to Israel. Looking to verse 6, we are seeing the conversion. Verse 6 and 7. Um, verse 6 holds a very important truth concerning salvation. Look at that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. The Lord has not always been available. And there is going to come a time for each of us when he is no longer available. What I'm saying here is we cannot presume that you and I will have another opportunity uh, to trust Christ at a later time. Today is the day of the salvation, the, body, the Bible says. Life is uncertain. How many of our friends have we known um, died suddenly? killed in a car in an accident um, uh, suffered uh, a loss of, of tragic proportions because of a stroke or a heart attack um, and then plans that they had made for tomorrow next week next month next year um, never come to follow and so he's saying seek God while he is near that's today that we need to realize that, um, you know, we have to seize the offer of salvation right now, immediately. Very few Gentiles had the opportunity in the Old Testament. But now during this age of the church, the Lord offers salvation to all the nations. That's Matthew 28. 19 and 20, if you want to see that in the New Testament. Verse 7, 
Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Um, we see that verse 7 is describing that person who has accepted that free gift. Let the one who knows he's wicked forsake his ways. After you've accepted the free gift of salvation, that is the forsaking of his sin is not the requirement for salvation. It is the result of salvation. The change in the believer's life should take place. Now, a lot of Christians will, will typically quote a passage like Ephesians 8 and 9 as to prove that salvation is by faith alone. Yes. But we overlook verse 10. Um, where it talks about that we are the the workmanship of Christ, of Christ Jesus, created in Christ for good works, for which God has ordained that we should walk in them. We aren't saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. God expects our life to be different from the old life. And we see that, that we turn from these ways God is going to then have compassion on him and will abundantly pardon. Um, you know, some people, when they come to Christ, immediately know the, the how great their sin was. Others may not have recognized it, how sinful they were, until after they were saved. They knew that they had done wrong, but the the sheer volume and immensity of their, their sin life doesn't really sink in until after salvation. And they study God's word. But regardless of whether they are aware of it or they come aware of it, it says that God will pardon abundantly. There's not a limited pardon. It's not, well, the first 65% of your sins are a pardoned, and you're going to have to work off the rest. You can't have a limit and be abundant in your pardon. It is an abundant pardon for all. Going on to 8 and 9, we're doing a comparison here. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my way, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Well, God's thoughts and ways are different than man. That truth is really obvious. I think it is so obvious, so why do we have to mention it? Because God's work of salvation is not something man could do, nor could even imagine it. And here in verse 8, he, he says that he declares his people's, the dealings he has with man, with people, with you and I, are different with the way that we would have thought if we were setting up a salvation plan. And that kind of throws a question in. What kind of salvation plan would you have set up if you were doing one? Or, if you've been in 
the church so long you can't think of a salvation plan other than the the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his, on the his death on the cross and the spilling of his blood. Maybe what do you see the world saying is another way to heaven? Here's some ideas I jotted down. Uh, a checklist of good deeds. A bucket list to do. There are those that you will talk to that if they do enough things and they can check off their list, then if they get enough check marks, they're going to get a good grade and they're going to get to heaven. Maybe devoting a certain amount of time <clears throat> slash effort to the poor slash uh, money to God and his ministries that will earn your way to heaven. But Isaiah is reminding man, the way you figure out is not the way God figured it out. The way you would do it is not the way God would do it. I think this is helping us understand, and it's again obvious that God's ways are not our ways, and they're separate. And you will see that Isaiah <clears throat> points us uh, in 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. Uh, to, to the Israelites at the time Isaiah was writing, the heavens he was talking about is that vast expanse of sky that separates us from the stars above. Um, there was a gap. Man could not get off the ground. He could not fly at that time. He could not penetrate into space like with a rocket ship like we have today. But that gap uh, was one of... of uh, the man understood and he said there's a gap that you can see between here and that sky that you can't touch but he says I'm going to tell you that the gap is even greater it's infinitely greater between the ways of man down here on earth and the ways of God in heaven let's look to uh, the next couple verses here in just a second we'll come back to that and look at the confidence we have in the promise we we have um, from reading in Isaiah So let's look on, here we are to Isaiah 10 and 11. That's the confidence we have in, in if we're continuing our little alliteration. And it's saying, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnish seeds to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word which shall go forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now, I'll ask a question. Do that, does that verse mean that every time I purchase 
a person preaches God's word, uh, he is guaranteed a result. Every time we share the gospel, we are guaranteed a result. No. But these verses are a promise concerning God's word. He says, what will come to pass, not based on what a pastor says. Because many messages have been ignored. Many invitations have been blown away. Uh, it may have been involved with the pastor in the way he said it, and it may have also lied with the people who were listening. But he is saying that just because, just like the rain which comes down from heaven and produces a harvest, God's word will produce a result. It shall not return to him void, empty. What God said is trustworthy, and it is powerful. And no one is going to be able to claim that God can't keep his word. <clears throat> He's already promised that it will happen. Um, and then in, we've got a couple more sections, but just last two verses in this chapter, 55, Isaiah is using an outburst of joy that is coming when you realize that God is offering you a free gift. It is something your soul is thirsting for. It is promised and he is going to make it happen. And he says, for you will go out with joy. And joy is not just happiness. It's not giddiness. Happiness depends on your environment. It depends on your uh, emotional condition. Joy is that feeling you have inside that is irreducibly not dependent on your condition or your emotional state. Um, but he says, you'll go out with joy and you'll be led forth in peace. But not only that, he's using some, some rather cool descriptive language. Look at this. He says, and the mountains a hill will break forth with shouts of joy before you. It's the world around you is celebrating with you. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. The mountains and hills singing and the trees clapping. Um, Paul in, in the New Testament in Romans 8.22 says that nature itself being under the curse of sin groans waiting for deliverance when he comes again. We will see, as we looked at last time, no, two times ago, less than 11, um, that during the millennia the physical environment is undergoing a change. The Edenic, or the conditions that were in Eden, are going to return again. Animals are going to lose their wild nature. We saw that in Isaiah 11, 6-9. Thorns and briars are going to give way here, he says, to fir and myrtle trees. Look at that in 13. Instead of the thorn burst, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, myrtle will come up. It will be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. This curse that the world has is going to be lifted because of Christ's redemptive work. And let's not forget that we said we're going into this new chapter. And this new chapter 
begins, but the thought of God's salvation continues. And uh, let's look at the last couple verses, uh, Isaiah 56, 1 and 2. Um, we're going to go on to 56 and just look at 1 and 2 here. Get my page. Thus says the, the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning uh, the Sabbath, who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined him with him say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Um, we, in the first part of that, we are talking about what God has, has called us to do. He expects justice and righteousness from the believer. They are the outworking of salvation. As we said before, good works don't result in salvation, but we are created as here is workman's workpiece to do good works. And here we see those good works laid out. Preserve justice, do righteousness. Blessed is the man who does this. As we wrap up today's lesson, I just want to ask you, um, what do people see expressed on your face as you go about life? Do, do you express the fact that you have joy? That the mountains around you are literally singing? That the trees around you are clapping their hands because of the joy in your life? Should they be seeing that on your face? Or do they see, as, as my friends have said, that you're a pickle juice drinker and you look sour and bitter? Do you have joy or do you have bitterness? How does knowing the peace and joy of the Lord and showing that in our face affect our witness? Well, I'll let you think about that. I guess my encouragement is to wear the hope that you have of our salvation on our faces. Not as a badge that we can hold up and say, nah, 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 I'm going to heaven and you're not. But that I've experienced something magnificent. And it has filled me with great amount of joy and happiness and a different way of living. And I'd love to share it with you. That's what we want to see. Next week, we're going to be moving into a new study. Still making a decision on what that's going to be. Uh, come expectant. Um, and we'll see you next week. Guys, have a great week. Continue to pray for each other. We're praying for you here. Have a great day.